This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and with me today are David Donaldson and Michael Daly from the Atlanta Healing Center. We're going to be talking about cravings, the importance of dealing with cravings if you're the person having them, and the appropriate, helpful way to deal with cravings if one of your loved ones is reporting to you that you're having cravings. Before we get to that, though, I would like to alert you about a couple of things that have just come out from the DEA. The first is that as of this coming Friday, September 30th, Kratom, which is a has been an over-the-counter supplement that you've been able to buy, will now be a Schedule One drug. This has been something that we have seen a lot of at the Atlanta Healing Center and a lot of difficulty in terms of people becoming addictive to this substance and then having very difficult, uncomfortable withdrawal sim- symptoms from it. A long withdrawal symptoms. A long period of withdrawal. Uh, it is um, has been available at truck stops and grocery stores and uh, convenience stores. It has uh, been added to a number of well-known energy supplements, energy shots, if you will. It has been made illegal in a couple of states. There has been legislation that uh, has been proposed here in Georgia to make it illegal. But this week, the feds have gone ahead and taken steps to make it illegal, a Schedule One substance, which means there is no medical use and there is no access to this drug outside of a very strictly regulated Um, research setting. So that, I think, is probably disappointing news to some of our listeners, but to those of us who treat addiction, this has been a very difficult drug. Many people have used it with the mistaken idea that they could come off of heroin or other opiates with it, and much to their surprise, it is as addictive and unfortunately difficult to stop, as is heroin and other drugs. It's actually very um, good news because there are so many people that that would get onto Kratom with the idea that this is going to be a a detox that I can do for myself to get off of heroin or other things, and they would go through steps that they would read online as to how to do this and find that they would be just more addicted Mm-hmm. And and spending as much money as they were spending on heroin at gas stations, getting the kratom, right? And um, not not having any real um, support with being able to do this, and it just took over. It, it really did. There was there was a lot of press out there for a while from from some of the recovery states that this is this is. Um, an alternative to right. medications that the doctors want to give. And, and for the young people who were viewing the doctors as licensed drug dealers as opposed right. to people who are trying to help them, they were using this as the press that said Kratom is the, the great drug to keep you out of the hands of those other those other people. But in reality, it did not. It, it would have 
it would take over. It was full-fledged addiction, just like heroin or other opiates. So it is, I agree with you, David, this is good news, and I congratulate the DEA on, on taking this action because I know many of us over the last few years have been increasingly concerned about the ease, the availability, no restrictions on it, anybody can purchase it, which again leads to, unfortunately, exposure to very young people, uh, people innocently thinking that this is going to be a safe alternative, and it's anything but that. The other thing that the DEA came out with just today was a, um, a public policy statement or a public warning about the medication that's now being found on the streets, and that's carfentanil. This is known as the elephant tranquilizer for some of you who may be following the um, press on it, but it is extremely dangerous. It is highly potent. We've talked on this show before about the role of fentanyl, particularly when it is mixed with heroin, in terms of increasing the risk of death and and uh, certainly of overdose. One of the problems with carfentanil is that it is a minute amount of medication or of this substance that can cause severe overdose and very sudden death. In fact, because it is absorbed through the skin, part of the DEA's warning is to law enforcement professionals about the need to be very careful as they are handling substances for which they are arresting people. So if they come across a stash of drugs, this is a white powder, looks very similar to cocaine or to heroin, and the the warning is that you need to have special equipment and special training to be able to safely take custody of this drug and to avoid exposure uh, to um, police um Law enforcement agents in um, New Jersey uh, were recently exposed to a very small amount of it. Fortunately, because they were on duty when this happened, they did have access to the narcotic reversal agent Narcan. The onset of overdose is extremely fast within seconds of using of coming in, in contact, and this was a skin um, Contact that these uh, detectives unfortunately uh, came across. Fortunately, though, they did have access to the Narcan and they were able to be reversed and reversed and reversed until they were safely in a hospital setting. But um, the, a couple of um, these folks had, had talked about it, and one detective said, I thought I was dying. It felt like my whole body was just shutting down immediately. And he's describing his experience with having a severe opioid overdose. So this is out there. It is extremely dangerous. And the chance that you're going to be able to reverse an overdose of this is very slim, given that it's um, at least 100 times more potent than fentanyl, which is 100 times more potent than morphine. So... In the scale of relative amounts, uh, you don't have to have a lot of this to have a very deadly. So the Narcan was able to reverse it, but they had to continually keep yes. giving the Narcan, Narcan every 
five, ten minutes to yeah, keep it, every it three minutes. That. Every three minutes in yeah. order to keep somebody from going right. into full overdose and passing away. Right. So the amount of Narcan that most people, most of our patients who get a prescription for this and get this filled, um, they might have one or two doses mm-hmm. available to them. Fortunately, because they were police officers, they had access to more, which allowed them to um, save these folks' lives and keep them alive until EMS and further help came. Right. And there have been... Um, warning police not to not to do a self-test not to do any kind of testing when they come across the white powder anymore because if it is something like that just handling it in order to test it could be deadly so is it is it speculated that this is on the street because people who have been using drugs and heroin all these things for a long time are able to take this without overdosing? No. Or this is this is more like a weapon. Yes. This is um, this is a medication that is used in veterinary medicine for large animals, not cows and horses. This is really elephants, very large animals, that they use this as an anesthetic to perform surgery or difficult procedures on these very large animals in zoos. And that's where they think the source of this is coming from. And because, as unfortunately we know, many of our Folks are constantly looking for the next big thing, the Mm -hmm. bigger, the better, the more dramatic high. So uh, some folks are getting access to it and are using it inadvertently, I think. So um, you need to administer the Narcan again every two to three minutes for at least 15 minutes in order to reverse this. Which is scary because most people don't have seven or eight doses. doses. No, I mean when when you buy the the prepackaged shot shots, it comes two to a pack or two to a applicant. Right, and some of them are only one. So it's a very small amount that is um, that it takes to overdose. I think two um, milligrams, which is very very tiny amount. So be aware that it is out there. Be very, very careful. I wish I could tell you that drug dealers were honest and gave full and appropriate warnings and listing of the ingredients, but I can assure you that they do not and that we are certainly seeing a a huge increase in deaths related to the availability of the fentanyl, and now this is just exponentially more powerful. Well, and and for a while at... Atlanta Healing Center, we were seeing fentanyl in pretty much everything or across the board. Right. So. But and, and what's so interesting is that this conversation about this new chemical out there that's so strong that people will die right away if they use it will actually cause cravings and triggers for people who are trying to get clean from heroin because their brain says, wow, there's something even stronger out there, and I could just go chase this edge just a little bit more. Bringing us over to the topic that we were we were actually talking about today in terms of what are cravings, how powerful are cravings, and, and how do you help somebody dealing with cravings. 
this conversation, as scary as it is for most people, would be a trigger for an opiate addict. Yes, they would immediately start thinking about and trying to figure out a way, if they could, uh, to go and experience. experience this. So cravings. Cravings are pretty much a normal occurrence for most people at some point during their recovery process. Has that been your experience? Absolutely. Absolutely my experience. It is It is par for the course. If you've been doing anything for a long period of time and you decide, okay, I'm going to stop. If I've been doing marijuana for a long time and I stop, my brain is going to say, hey, what's up? Where's my marijuana? And it's going to send out these little spontaneous desires to find some marijuana and, and get stoned. Um, if you're somebody who wakes up every day and fixes a peanut butter sandwich and you decide, okay, I'm going to switch to ham after a few days, your brain's going to say, hey, where's my peanut butter sandwich? And it's going to send out cravings. Cravings are, are a natural part of our psychological mechanism mm-hmm. for for keeping life um, simple so you don't have to think about everything. But it's, once again, addiction hijacks what's normal and, and uses it to to keep the addiction thriving. <laughs> I think it's very interesting. It's sort of like being on a diet when you tell yourself you're going to be on a diet or you're going to avoid sugar, then that's all you can think of all day. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the phenomenon of cravings and how you can help manage them. Please stay tuned. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. 
This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. This is Dr. Susan Blank. I have with me Michael Daly and David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center. Today we're talking about the phenomenon of cravings. And this, I think, is something that as we said right before the break, is a very normal thing to have happen, but I think it's sometimes hard for even the patients to understand what's happening. So the idea of craving is based on classical conditioning theory, which is the old story of Pavlov and his dogs. When you think about what happened in those experiments, I'm sure you can remember from psychology class, Um, Dr. Pavlov or his assistants would feed the dogs regular the regular food while the dogs were eating they would ring a bell so they would feed the dog ring the bell feed the dog ring the bell feed the dog ring the bell so the dog began to pair the idea of a bell rings when I eat my dinner they got to the point that you can ring the bell without feeding the dog and the dog would start to salivate and would start to behave as though they had been presented with food. They would have all of the responses physiologically, internally, as if they had a a bowl of their usual supper right there in front of them. And this is what we call classical conditioning. So we know that until we've tasted ice cream, We don't know if we like it. We don't know if we care about it. It's no big deal. Once we taste ice cream, and if we like it, we associate that cold treat with the release of dopamine and with a sensation of pleasure and enjoying it. When you pair that now with the ice cream truck, where the sounds of the crazy music or the sight of that big truck with all the stickers and all of the bright colors on it with I see the, the stickers, I hear the sound. Now suddenly, though I, five minutes ago I was playing happily digging a hole in the dirt, now I hear that and immediately all I can think about is ice cream. That's all I want. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get my mom to give me a quarter, dating myself, of course, <laughs> uh, give me a quarter to be able to go buy some ice cream. So I haven't really before paired that tune or that particular, those colors with ice cream. But once they're linked, now just hearing those sounds make me respond and suddenly all I want is that ice cream. And that's the kind of phenomenon that we see when people use drugs and alcohol. Well, and what's so powerful about it is that those memories got got programmed into your brain right. when you were a child. Yes. And it, as you tell the story, I, I can hear the song Pop Goes the Weasel in my brain <laughs> and think about ice cream. Or in a, in a neighborhood that, that we recently lived in, the ice cream truck still comes around, but this ice cream truck plays um, Music Box Dancer. And so instead of thinking, oh, that's Music Box Dancer, I'm thinking, oh, it's the ice cream man. <laughs> Gets conditioned just that quickly. When I'm when I'm working with patients about this, I really like to bring it into to their their own stories about um, 
ways that they've been conditioned or or if they've had pets and they see how quickly a pet will reaction to the to the sound of their food dish or the sound of needing to go outside and i'm actually reminded of a story that that um michael has talked about where he had a dog named baxter and baxter was trained to come to get a treat every time he would come back in the house and so whenever Baxter needed to go outside, he would go wait by the door, and then he would get a treat when he came back in. And Michael talked about... The only reason he would want to go outside was so when he came in, he could get a treat. <laughs> so he didn't really have to go No, he would, go, he, would, he would cross the threshold, and every time he crossed the threshold, he, he would expect a treat, because that was something that just occurred. So he would cross the threshold and turn around and come right back across the threshold. And Michael was the one being classically <laughs> contrained to respond to this to, to Baxter scratching the door to go outside. So what's so important is just letting patients and their family members in particular know that cravings are normal. And I think with some drugs in particular, the, the with cocaine, with heroin, Letting patients know that this is normal and just because you have a craving doesn't mean you have to use is kind of a discovery. Well, and you can you can see this type of training all across the board, but I think of, you know, when people get dessert, oftentimes they'll have dessert with coffee. So if you offer them dessert but don't offer them coffee, they're almost like, well, I need coffee to have my dessert just because the two go so well together. And and when people are trying to stop doing a certain drug or a certain activity and they're still doing half of that right. they st- equation. Right, they're trying to be on a equation. diet and not have dessert. Exactly. So I'm just going to have coffee. It doesn't work <laughs> right. so well. And it, in fact, leaves them a bit irritated. Right. When they're right. sitting there and they're having the coffee and the full needs not getting fulfilled, their brain is, is throwing out this question mark, hey, what's going on? You're ripping me off a little bit. And part of what we talk about is just trying to ignore cravings is a very poor defense against them because your brain knows what it's supposed to be getting and it will keep sending that message, hey, where's my dessert? Where's my dessert? I'm having coffee until you get mad and pitch a fit and, and, and storm out of the restaurant or you order just one little bite of ice cream. It's very interesting because for any of us, until we've had an experience with a drug or alcohol or even some behaviors, we have no thought about what that's going to feel like. We have no particular attachment to that substance or that behavior. It's just maybe something we've heard about, may not. Mm -hmm. But once that's been introduced... Once we become experienced and and there's that um, initial conditioning of this substance makes me feel this way, then the secondary conditioning begins to uh, come to pass, which is, and I always drink out of this glass and I always sit in this chair. Or I listen to this music. Or these are my friends that I drink with or I use with. And so things in the environment that don't necessarily by themselves have anything to do with that drug use except how you've paired it in your mind suddenly become part of the triggers Mm -hmm. for us to have the cravings. So if you continue to go home and sit in the chair where you drank or hang out in the bar where you used to drink 
and think that you're not going to be reminded of drinking, drinking it, that's really not a very <laughs> a very wise or reasonable thought. And bef- but before before you had that pairing, that's just a chair. Right. That's just a chair. It doesn't have any magical properties. It doesn't do anything. It's not a vibrating chair. It's not a magic carpet ride chair. It's just a chair. But once you've paired it with, and that's the chair that I sit in when I drink, and this is the feeling I get when I drink, now suddenly that chair becomes much more powerful. And part of one of the ways that we have to deal with cravings is to deal with the triggers. Exactly. Because there are sometimes some situations where cravings are going to be triggered by certain situations, behaviors, people, places, and things, as we talk about in 12-step recovery. Well, when I was a smoker, I used to drink a cup of coffee and have a cigarette. And so when I quit smoking cigarettes, I noticed that my consumption of coffee dropped dramatically because they just didn't it it didn't taste the same either it it didn't taste right or it made me crave the cigarette which i couldn't have so therefore i just kind of gave up on the coffee for Mm -hmm. you know the consumption of it dropped dramatically so i you know i think that uh for people that don't have addiction um that say well i don't really know what cravings are about they get an idea. Right. And the other half of the operant conditioning model is that, back to Pavlov's dogs, if you ring the bell and don't feed the dog, and ring the bell and don't feed the dog, and ring the bell and don't feed the dog, eventually the dog start, stops having the physiological response, stops salivating, Stops looking for food, all of those things, it becomes deconditioned. So mm-hmm. now ringing the bell doesn't necessarily have any more power than not ringing the bell in terms of the dog having behaviors and internal physiological changes as though they're going to eat. So that's one of the things that we have to help explain to patients is that early on, lots of things in your environment, lots of situations, some of them we can imagine, some of them we can't, are going to be triggers. But over time, they will be deconditioned. So there are going to be some things that are really hard in the beginning that a year from now. So I know you haven't given up coffee completely. Absolutely not. Um, And so over time, the urge to smoke has been decreased, decreased, has been deconditioned from the coffee. And so now you can have coffee. You can sit in the chair again. You may be able to go to a party with your friends again Mm -hmm. and not be triggered to have this compulsive desire drive, um, this wanting to have that substance you have worked through it they're going to be some things though right well and part of what we talk about is when things are really 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 good or when they're really 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 painful our brain hardwires the memory to that so we can do that conditioning or deconditioning and, and stop responding to the bell after a period of time and and it'll take a while to stop responding right 
But if we ring that bell and give the stake again, that conditioning will come back full force. So the the linkage that, that Michael had with coffee and cigarettes could return really, really quickly sure. by one cigarette with his coffee. Right. The dangers of just having one is so dangerous because all of those triggers, they're, they've been turned off, but they will turn right back on. The wiring is still there. The wiring is, is <laughs> hardwired because it was something the brain really, really liked. Right. And then if you add emotion to mm-hmm. the use or the reason for the use or the reason for the, the substance, then you've added another whole... A whole nother level of... Uh, triggering for those cravings, those thoughts, those desires to continue to use. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about how do we resist cravings and how do you as a loved one help your family member understand and cope with cravings. We'll be right back. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, You probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. This is Dr. Susan Blank. You're listening to Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. Today we're talking about the phenomenon of cravings. I have a craving that happens far too often in uh, the lives of our patients, particularly in early recovery. 
But it's not just the patients that have cravings. Family members also can have some cravings. Well, and I think this is incredibly important for family members to to experience um, on a on a emotional and physical level. That cravings are emotional and physical, and family members have them, but they don't have the label for it. So helping family members recognize what cravings are and that they experience it too will help take away some of the power with that. With family members real often what we'll talk about is is that that cravings get programmed in there based on things that are really, really, really good or really, really, really bad. And so a family member's fear of something horrible happening to my loved one causes them to do all kinds of bizarre things. You know, they can, they'll get in their car and they'll drive all over town and go through the worst parts of town looking for their loved one. Who's they'll, five minutes late getting five, home. Yeah. Um, they'll, they'll suddenly feel like they're being lied to and they'll go up and they'll tear their loved one's room apart looking for evidence that they were being lied to. And, and their brain will think, well, this is just normal behavior because I need to make sure my loved one's safe. What they're not recognizing is they're being triggered to go do this behavior that's keeping them hooked into the disease um, rather than into a recovery process. Instead of doing what we're going to talk about later in terms of healthy behaviors to get out of the cravings, they're staying there engaged in the addiction of codependency as opposed to the addiction of chemical dependency or alcohol or drug addiction, but it's still they're still being triggered. Their trigger is the person was five minutes late or the phone wasn't answered or nowadays that you didn't respond to a text within mm-hmm. a certain amount of time. And when that t- time passes, the brain says something bad has happened and I need to go do something. And they're, they're triggered. They're up and at, at whatever they got to do to, to get that fix. And I think that is a really important idea for family members to understand Mm -hmm. that compulsion that their loved one has to go and use to change how they're feeling, the compulsion the family member has to go and check or follow up or look on the bank statement or check the computer um, memory and look at all of these things, that sudden onset of this happened, and now I'm having these strong physical and emotional feelings. So for both the family member and the person with addiction, it's physical and it's psychological. There is a physical change when a family member, now you, I think you're real, it's really important what you've said, David, about something very bad can have just as powerful predictor of behavior as something really good. Our people with addiction are used to the really good. That's their euphoric recall of their experience. The family members, not euphoric, dysphoric recall is of the really bad experience. So it was the middle of the night they got a phone call that their loved one was in an accident or had been... Arrested, arrested and was in, in jail. And so now a phone rings, immediate panic, immediate horrible thoughts. Now I've got to go find them. Are they okay? What's happening? And that intense drive to go do something 
to fix this is the same kind of experience that the person with addiction is having. I need to go use to fix this. Mm-hmm. And it, it is two sides of the same coin. Yep. Very important. And I think it's also important to, to talk to them about this isn't the craving that happens when somebody's in early withdrawal, when it's actually the chemical that's saying, I need more or I'm going mm-hmm. to gonna really, really hurt bad. That's physical cravings caused by the chemical leaving your system and your system adjusting to its absence. And, and so that's withdrawal cravings. We're talking about the psychological cravings that happen but can turn physical. You know, when when a when a person is sitting watching TV and they're watching a football game and they're remembering um, all those good times that they used to have watching the football game and they're just having the thoughts of I remember I used to really enjoy beer. At some point, as they think about the beer, it moves into looking over at their fridge or looking, and they, their body starts to get engaged. And then before they're actually drinking, at some point they're actually getting up and they are going to, to get it. It's moving from just this thought of, oh, I used to enjoy beer when I drink, watch football, to I'm going to go get some right now. And, and part of the, the recovery process is learning that you don't have to move from point A to point B in that step, that you can have those thoughts without having it turn into a physical action. A and difficult. the same for the family. You can have the thought, you can notice that they're late, you don't have to turn it into this gigantic, horrible disaster that now you feel compelled to go get in your car and start looking for them or start calling people or texting people. Have you seen so-and-so? That you can have that thought and you can remind yourself. It's it's kind of funny here because the person that's having the craving for the drug or the alcohol or, or substance, um, one of the things that, that we help them understand is to talk about it, to, to go um, to text somebody or to call someone or to call a friend or to call their sponsor or call a friend that they've known from meetings. And that's quite the opposite of the person that's the, the spouse – who's having a <laughs> craving and their first inclination is to call someone or to check on someone or to text someone or to look up something or you know so it's almost like the 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 spouse is doing what the addict should do and the addict is doing what the but and it's become such it's such a powerful dance between the That's codependent right. and the and the addict because the addict may have just been late coming home, but when they see their phone ring and they see the name on it, then they're in this panic mode of what did I do wrong? What am I going to walk into? And their brain may not have been having cravings before <laughs> that, but it is now. And mm-hmm. and they do if they do make it home, it they walk into a fight which sends them both to their separate corners acting out in their own addictive behaviors. And the, the dance of addiction just continues within this family until they can start learning some new healthier behaviors. Right. And to recognize that the dance is even going on. I think that it's pretty easy to identify the person using drugs or alcohol. At, True. At some level... They may be telling you a story. There may be all sorts of reasons why that's not true. But in the person's heart of hearts, they understand, yes, I did go drink last night, and yes, I'm telling you a story about that. 
it's much harder to recognize that in the codependent because they're not doing anything, and I'm using air quotes here, folks. They're, they're not doing anything bad. They're not doing anything harmful. harmful. They're not doing any, or at least in their mind, they're not doing anything unexpected. And so they're playing within their role, and the person who it has the disease of addiction is moving outside their commitment to use. That's the uh, that's the paradigm that everybody is thinking. And yet for the loved one to panic and to start doing some pretty crazy stuff themselves, everybody assumes that that's okay or that that's normal. Mm-hmm. Not recognizing that David just as you said very clearly, the idea that many people people with the disease of addiction will have, well, if I'm going to be accused of this, I might as well go do Do it. it. And, you know, you're off and running. So very often, not always and certainly not exclusively, but very often some of the triggers for the person with addiction is the behavior of their codependent enabler that is making them feel accused or guilty or shameful Mm -hmm. and their first thought after they have that feeling is i need to use well and that's why it's so so important to help the family understand their their side of this coin with the person who's got addiction i mean you know we can we can talk to the the addict and you know, help them understand things through the groups and through um, individuals and that type of thing. But until the family member starts to understand that there's another full side of that and they're involved in that, it's really hard to keep this from happening. Right. And that they need help because their behavior is very harmful not only to their their loved one with addiction, it's harmful to themselves. Absolutely. They're very uncomfortable. They're very unhappy. They aren't performing well at work. They aren't always paying attention to their duties. They are withdrawing from their family and friends. They're so involved in watching and guarding and being on the lookout uh, of what's my loved one doing that they're not engaging in their own self-care they're not doing the things that they would normally do or would be expected to do so it is very harmful hurtful unhealthy behavior on their part that also needs to be treated and they need to be treated hopefully in concert or one of two things happen both the the person with addiction and the codependent will relapse back into their behavior and they'll continue that dance Mm -hmm. If they don't get treatment, one of them is going to get healthy and get out of the relationship. Right. And so the relationship will disintegrate. Our goal is let's everybody get healthy and let's continue a healthy, happy relationship. Well, and the other piece is that when they just run away from this issue, if if they don't do some work to figure it out, the the likelihood is they're going to marry right back into the right. same situation, only worse. It's going to go from being this is an alcoholic to now this is a drug addict who also has untreated bipolar disorder, and, and it's going to escalate if they don't stop and get it fixed. So it's it's when we say it's a family disease, I know that means a lot of different things, including the genetics, but in this case, it's a relationship disease, and it's two sides of one coin, 
one person looking for re relief and pleasure, one person um, getting caught up in pain and panic. When we come back, we're going to talk about how coping with cravings actually looks the same for both sides. We'll be right back. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. You're listening to America's Web Radio. And today we're talking about the phenomenon of cravings. Pretty clear in the person with addiction, less clear but just as powerful and just as potentially disabling are the cravings that people have or the automatic behaviors that people have when they have the disease of codependency. So we've talked a little bit about what causes cravings, the operant conditioning kinds of theories about things in the environment that are going to trigger the person, the um, behaviors that release dopamine, or in the case of the person who has codependency, release adrenaline or norepinephrine, which is the panic, the fight-or-flight um, chemical, and um, how these uh, come about, how these interact with each other, and how treatment is really important. 
One of the things that is um, important and we're going to spend some time on now is what do you do when you're having a craving? And whether that's that adrenaline-based trigger or whether that's the dopamine-based trigger uh, or chemical reaction, you, these will work on both sides of the, of the street. So I think that's really helpful. And the first thing is that cravings are normal. <laughs> the automatic thought of, oh, my loved one doesn't look quite right, they seem a little slow, they seem a little tired, they must be using, that automatic thought is pretty normal. Doesn't mean that it has to take over into full-fledged panic or uh, create a difficult situation. So cravings are normal for both sides. And cravings will pass. Very important. Especially looking at the idea that, that for the family members, it's adrenaline and norepinephrine. These are chemical rushes that are happening. And for the addict, these are those chemicals as well as dopamine that's, that's rushing. What we talk about with all of them is that if you take some steps to allow these chemicals to pass, they will pass. And there's always this debate when it goes on because some people have been told it's going to pass in seven minutes. Other people are told it's going to pass in 15 minutes. But they're at least they're knowing there's this time frame, this will pass if I don't act on them. Uh, as a doctor, do you have a have a way in on how long those chemicals can rush through your system once they've been triggered? Well, it's it's very interesting. If they are not continue to be activated. So if the person who has the disease of addiction doesn't use mm -hmm. or the family member doesn't go and start checking Come the internet and, and calling people, then it shouldn't take more than about 15 minutes. If you're having a full-fledged, full-on, complete high-speed come-apart adrenaline panic attack, that will not, physiologically, you cannot sustain that for more than an hour. So the longest that someone would need to, air quotes again, endure this would be an hour. Most of the time it passes much more quickly than that. <laughs> and we, we teach them that it passes not by just pretending it didn't happen or by ignoring it, but by taking action yes. to allow it to pass. And part of that, that we really get them to focus on is to just stop and breathe um, real often we'll talk about put your hand on your your diaphragm and and just feel the air coming in and out of your system so you're you're putting your focus there and you're actually letting this air go in and out of your brain and when your air brain is getting oxygen it's able to start relaxing and letting those chemicals pass so it's it's several steps to help them get the focus also off of I need to go do this, I need to go do this, and back onto I need to take care of myself for a second and I need to just breathe. It's amazing. That alone can be one of the most powerful interventions that you can make for either the person with addiction or the person with codependency because they're both holding their breath. Mm -hmm. Literally. I, I don't mean that metaphorically. They're holding their breath, and when that happens... Other chemicals are released, including more adrenaline, more norepinephrine. You can just let that start to spin out of control. So if you breathe out all that carbon dioxide that's built up in your lungs and you concentrate, 
So you're you're actually physiologically changing how your body chemically is by breathing. You're also doing an important thing which is really helpful and can take many forms, which is distraction. I'm not going to sit here and watch my clock and say, okay, I've got 15 minutes and this is going to be over in 15 minutes and I won't have this thought anymore. 15 minutes, let me watch the clock. 15 minutes, it's all going to be okay. I won't have to do it. Let 15 minutes. That's really not going to help. No, that's, yeah. (laughs) That is for sure not going to help. So distraction, doing something differently and thinking about things differently, physically doing something differently. Moving. That I mean, very getting powerful. up and walking around or, or doing something to to get yourself away from what, whatever it is that you're being triggered by. So actually making a change, not Ab- just sitting absolutely. in that same environment and just enduring it, as you say, but getting up and making a change. Right. Yep. Turning on the TV, turning on some music, going outside, getting a drink of water. Breathing, practicing your breathing, doing some exercise, lots of things like that that are changing what you're doing, the position you're sitting in, what's occupying your brain, and what's actually happening physiologically in your body. These are the distractions we're talking about. Right. In like the 12-step program, some of them, you'll, you'll go into meeting rooms and see all these little slogans on the walls and things like, um, you know, this too shall pass or or all these crazy little sayings that at first when you're there you're like oh that's really stupid or whatever but then you understand that oh gosh i remember that saying that that this will pass and and it does you know you just have to give yourself that experience to sit through it or to move through it or to gain that experience to know that yes this meaning cravings will pass will pass Mm mm-hmm Part of another thing that we do is is get them to ask themselves, am I in halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired? Those are, are states in which you're in a stressed condition and you're apt to overreact or underreact and you're apt to make bad decisions. So if you're hungry, go eat something. If you're angry, um, maybe go do some exercise to get the energy of the anger out and then call your sponsor and talk about that or get out a pen and journal and get that anger out of your head. If you're tired, take a nap. Um, if and if you're lonely, lonely go call, call a friend. Mm-hmm. Go, go see somebody. The, the talking about it, that physiologically within your brain is really important cravings and the panic that the codependent feels these are in the deep structures of your brain this is in your nonverbal brain this is in your amygdala if you leave it there it will continue to spin out of control if you label the feeling you are actually moving that thought up to your what we call your limbic system which is the awareness of how you are feeling so it doesn't help necessarily to do positive affirmations at this point. No, we really need to say, I'm feeling scared, I'm having a craving. When that happens and you say it verbally out loud to somebody, then that moves it up to your prefrontal cortex, that part of your brain that can make decisions, that can play the tape through as we talk about, <laughs> and can help you manage it. Now, saying that 
little phrase to a loved one, as helpful as that is for the person with the disease of addiction, can start the whole panic thing, the whole craving for the loved one, the codependent person. So how do you manage this? Well, that is where your sponsor comes in. If, if, you're, if you have a sponsor on either side of the coin, I guess, um, somebody that is going to understand what you're going through, help, help you move through it, help you understand that this is a normal thing, and give you some safe suggestions. Mm-hmm. And, and let you talk through that. Because that actually talking, that's how talk therapy actually helps you. Right. And for the codependent, if they call their sponsor, instead of going to their loved one who they're suspecting is either drunk or using or whatever it is, that doesn't cause that other side of the avalanche. Right. The codependent real often will feel betrayed in that scenario if this person is having these cravings and I'm here and I'm offering to talk to them and they're needing to go talk to somebody else. Because the part of the drive of the codependency is this need to be needed. And if their loved one is getting that need met with a sponsor, then it's almost viewed as a rejection. So helping the codependent recognize that right here and now in this scenario, they need to talk to somebody in in recovery from chemical dependency, and they need to not stay engaged with you right now, but they can talk to you again later. And to just kind of dissipate that fear a little bit because as you were saying when you hear that with a family member their panic button goes off Mm -hmm. and they need to talk also but not with the person in early recovery right so you take to your corners eventually you'll get to a place where you can actually talk to each other Mm -hmm. and help diffuse each other but that's not right away so managing cravings can be as simple as breathing and finding other options, talking to somebody, reaching out, going to a meeting, doing something different. It doesn't take a long list. It's not expensive. It's not hard, but you have to do it. So please manage your cravings, and we will see you next week on Detailing Addiction. You're listening to America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.